Hey, what's up, everybody? So today we're going to talk about the pay of uh, pride and you know the pay of fighters today, and an interesting, very interesting clause in one of my pride contracts. Check it out. とある田舎町で生まれて移り住んだ新宿で育ちこの町で大きたこれまでのポルタチの国までの生い立ちは本の末たちの口試されたいちいちただしてきた過ちただしてきた過ちただしてきた過ちただしてきた過ちただしてき
And it was always like, hmm, let me see who you, who, who you got in mind. How much you going to pay? And then always like, ah, I, I don't know. I don't even want to fight. So it was always that. I always had that. They knew that I would turn down any fight. Mm. Yeah, it definitely makes it. You have the upper hand when they know kind of that you're not just going to say yes, right? And I feel like yeah, in the modern day MMA scene, there seems to be a lot more fighters that are just happy to please the promotion and go along and just say, yes, I'm happy with the terms of my deal. Um, maybe it's because there's less promotions. I don't know. What do you think? The no, I think is? there's so many fighters now. Right. That if this fighter doesn't, you know, like if Ensign doesn't want to fight, okay, we'll just go grab this guy. Right. And I think it also depends on your name and how 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 much the association needs you. Mm-hmm. you know, like, for example, this common in this modern day now, like Conor McGregor, mm-hmm. he has the power because they want him to fight. Yeah, yeah. So you, but you got all the under the lower fighters that pretty much got to fight for whatever they ask for. They'll say, okay, you don't want to fight, we'll find someone else. There's a, a thousand other fighters at your level with your fame that can be used so i think it's that sacrifice you got to take in the beginning yeah and for me i think it was like that too I, you know when i first fought i fought for shuto i fought for two grand three thousand mm-hmm. dollars you know so for me it was obvious that i wanted to fight because i asked to make a to to make a debut in the professional fighting mm-hmm. so i asked them so i started off right away that i you know I was the one that wanted to fight. So they had the power negotiation. So yeah. that that's how I think with every fighter it starts off because if you're a no name, no one's gonna want you. Yeah. So you've gotta to want to fight. So you pretty much gotta sacrifice in the beginning that you know, go and you know, be a be a company company man mm-hmm. and say yes to what the company asks. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's interesting now how like you really have to do something to stand out from the crowd to really sort of justify those higher paychecks. Mm-hmm. It's kind of and it's a bit of a balance, right? Like, you can be that guy that goes in, talks shit, and calls out everyone, but then you might become hated in the MMA community, right? Like, the fans might hate you, the uh, the fighters might hate you as well. So, mm-hmm. any advice on how you think is the best way to conduct yourself to really try and earn that, that higher pay? Well, my advice wouldn't be really good advice because, for me, it wasn't about making money. It was mm-hmm. about carrying yourself with honor. And I was, I think I was just lucky enough that my fight style overcame any type of shit talk or any type of circus display that you can make to try and stand out and look fun or look interesting or be hated or be loved, you know? So I was lucky. So for me, I was real. Whatever you saw me in any press conferences or any interviews, everything was real. Mm -hmm. I never tried to sell myself. I never tried to up talk myself. I never tried to be a villain or a hero. I just it was me and I was lucky that the real ensign was something that fans wanted and was something that promotions wanted yeah yeah no it's, it's interesting you say that it's funny because I think about it with like my marketing head on and you know a prime example of like an example from this trip right we watched Ryzen New Year's Eve someone like Juan Archuleta who actually came out made a huge entrance for me that makes me think that you know the Japanese fans will want to see him again. They're going to be interested in his next fight because they, because he went the extra mile. He you know he did the big entrance. 
that I still think that sort of thing raises fighter stock sometimes. Like when you bring a bit more of your personality into it, I think that, that can be quite a good thing for like your future negotiations because you build a wider fan base and then the promotions know, actually, we've got people that want to see that guy. Yeah, well, I think it's because in this day and age, there's a lot of entertainment involved. Mm. So the show you can put on is good. You know, and, and, and on the other hand, you know, I mean, Archuleta's uh, ring entrance and everything, I had little goosebumps. It was fucking mm. awesome. You know, he comes out like a war. He goes and dances across like mm. a, almost like a war dance. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna go die now in the ring. I'm gonna go fight. I'm gonna war. I do my dance. You know, and as extravagant as beautiful as that was, someone like me walking in a t-shirt yeah. with no show, no nothing, no yeah. smile, just walking down. I think for me, what was lucky was I really did have the energy to where I was planning to die in the ring. So I think yeah. the people could feel that energy. And although I didn't say a word, I didn't dance, I didn't have any nice outfit, mm -hmm. just the, the expression on my face, the energy you could feel from me, I think, you know, that also was a show in itself. You know, yeah. that was an aura, there was there was energy that people couldn't describe. Yeah. You know? So I mean that was a that's another way to do a show, you know, something well, supernatural. I, I think that's what made you unique as a fighter, right? Because you felt, you know, <laughs> it's it's almost like your character is Yamato Damashi, your character is is you know that warrior spirit but it's not really a character it's just who you are it's yeah. just that it, it, it's translated but when people see it you know that's the appeal they want to see that they want to see you fight that way i was lucky yeah i was lucky that the just who i was yes the way i fought the way i fought you know fighting to ready, ready to die in the ring wasn't yeah. something that i did on purpose or played a act into to sell tickets to make the promotions want me it was just how i was so i was mm -hmm. just really blessed that the way I was normally, without having to put a, a single inch of acting in it, was something that people wanted to watch, the fans loved, and the promotions needed. Right. So I was just really lucky on that. So, I mean, coming, coming back to that contract, right? Um, it was fascinating to see what was in it. I think the one line in it that shocks me the most is around the, the drug testing. I mean, that in itself is uh, interesting to see. How do we, do you want to? Yeah, so I got the contract right here. Here's the contract. So the contract, we, we look into the area of uh, third page has illegal use of narcotics. It's that last paragraph. So illegal use of narcotics is, how you read it? I will read it out. So it says, a fighter agrees to be tested immediately following the fight of each fighting event to confirm the freedom from use of marijuana, cocaine, heroin, and barbiturates. Should the test result be positive, then fighter shall forfeit all amounts payable under this agreement. And this next line is, performance-enhancing performance stimulants of steroid-based family are specifically excluded from the scope of the test. So in other words, it's okay to take steroids. Yeah. We're not testing for steroids, yeah, but we're testing for everything else, yeah. So I mean, that's you know, <clears throat> says what it is, right? But that kind of sums up. I mean, I think people know any, right? They, you know, you look at some of the guys that were fighting back then, yeah, and it, it was obvious. I don't think there's any sort of secrets there now. I don't think this is you know that controversial, but just in case anyone was wondering. It was in the contract right there. Yeah. So, uh, and you know, the thing, the funny thing about that is, you know, even till today, if you hear someone was taking steroids, you say, oh, he's a cheater. But no, he was not a cheater. 
because that wasn't cheating. That was yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, the funny thing is, is when I went into fights, you know, I, I already went into fights knowing that there's a very good possibility that the fighter I was going to fight was going to be on steroids. Mm. You know, so it was something given. It was something that I set into my mindset when I was preparing for a fight. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't something that if he's doing steroids or not, it didn't really matter because I was preparing for this guy and if he did steroids and that's the way I was going to fight it. Mm-hmm. So I think the one the one thing you've got to say, right, is that that's written in the contract. So it's kind of like a level playing field for, for everyone because if that's the standard clause around drug testing uh, in, you know, for leading up to a, a pride fight, then <laughs> everything's fair game. And I guess that kind of maybe encouraged the culture a little bit. Of, uh... Well, you know, you know what I felt too was that as a, I mean, if you're talking straight up powerlifting, mm. that's totally going to be an advantage. But fighting, I mean, you can be stronger. You can get the strongest man in the world. And I and he he can he can you can let him see have him punch you, and then you have someone like maybe like a light heavyweight mm-hmm. punch you. I think someone who knows how to punch would be more dangerous than someone that's super strong singing steroids. So for me, I felt there was a give and take because when you take steroids, doesn't mean you're gonna, you know, you might recover faster, you might get stronger, but of course with more muscle you're going to probably burn stamina faster. Mm-hmm. You're going to be, if you got way more muscle, you're going to move a little slower. So for me, I was fighting in the non, the um, unlimited weight class. So for me, if I was fighting someone like when I fought Mark Kerr, I thought, okay, I know he's going to come in with a lot of power. So for power for power, I'm not going to be able to beat him. So I worked on more stamina and more speed. Mm-hmm. When I fought someone like Randy Couture, who was about 20 pounds heavier than me, he wasn't like super powerful. Mm-hmm. So that way I try to keep my weight up so I could match him with power for power. So... You know, I mean, I think there's a strategy for everything. Taking steroids, of course, he's probably going to get better training, get better recovery, be a little stronger. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a better fighter. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to have more heart in the fight. Because mm-hmm. steroids is not going to make you have a stronger heart to yeah. overcome fear and, and pain. You know? Yeah, no, definitely makes sense. Do you, you remember your first reaction when you saw this clause? No, I don't because no. it's, it wouldn't have surprised me. Oh, really? Well. Yeah. So I was already understood that they were doing everything. I, I wonder if this clause came out later down the line, you know, during the maybe like 2004, 2005. I wonder if it's something that got removed. No, I don't think it ever got removed. Really? Wow. I think it always was in there. And, so and in Japan, they were allowed to, to do yeah. steroids. It wasn't considered cheating. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, it wasn't vocal about it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm taking steroids. You know, those people weren't saying that. Yeah. But yeah, it was understood that if the fighter was huge and muscular, like Mark Kerr, you know, those guys, they're probably taking steroids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of, um, it, it wasn't frowned upon, right? Because it's not. No, I, I was, I didn't frown upon it at all. Like, yeah. yeah, if he's gonna, he thinks that having power and more muscle is going to be better for his fighting style. That's great for my fighting style. It wouldn't have mattered for my fighting style. It wouldn't mm-hmm. have made me a better fighter. So that makes sense. And then, you know, also when we've been going through these contracts, looking at the negotiation emails, you know, seeing the back and forth. I mean, just in terms of how Egan is writing the emails, <laughs> um, how how do you think that compares to, I don't know, you you probably know you don't want to go too, into too much information about Siyoshi's sort of... I don't do any negotiations for Siyoshi. Right. Absolutely none. So I have no idea how they negotiate now, right, but... Yes. I'm pretty sure that most of the times it's 
um, is, is rising, suggesting the fight money, and him pretty much going with it or saying, "Oh, can you please give me a little more?" So the right. tone is really different. Yeah, yeah tone, definitely, tone is definitely different. Yeah, I mean, for like, for example, like if rising will suggest the fight money mm. and Soshi well, well, doesn't need to be Soshi any fighter would either say oh okay or oh can you pay me more mm -hmm. um, in my day it was the opposite way we suggested the fight money oh okay yeah, yeah that's the big and we all right? and it was always like any anything you do in in, in, in like in any type of business negotiation when you're negotiating even if you go to Thailand negotiating buying a a CD mm -hmm. you know you go up there and you say okay you think to yourself okay the price they have is uh, say $20 for the CD and you're willing to pay 15 mm -hmm. but you know you're gonna negotiate so you start at 8 yeah and then you know you're gonna go up to 10 you go up to 12 and the last thing you're gonna do is go over if you're not gonna go over 15 so yeah. it's kind of like that so if I'm here and saying okay I want 80,000 to fight Mark Kerr mm -hmm. we're gonna start at 200,000 yeah and and negotiate it down yeah so that's I think the whole starting approach is different. The whole atmosphere of the negotiations different because mm -hmm. I think the whole atmosphere of the negotiations in our time was us calling the shots, us saying, "Oh, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous." I think nowadays it's the opposite way. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's star power, right? Like, it's like you said at the beginning, the the McGregor's, the Mayweather's, the Nate Diaz's, they're probably having those conversations how you were having them, right? Like, no, probably, I'm funny yeah. for this. Yeah, but and uh, you know. But the, the maybe the lower guys that haven't got that star power, that they're not using that the same sort of negotiation skills. What, what do you think though when you see fighters openly complaining about how much money they're getting made? Well, for one, the first thing I would say is when I see the fighters pay nowadays, like you got fighters walking away from a fight and buying a house. Yeah. I'd had a hard time buying a house, putting three fights accumulated. You know, mm -hmm. so for me, when I look at that, for me. I wanted to fight. There's something I wanted to do. The fact that I was getting paid for it was just a bonus. Right. So it wasn't like I'm making a living. I'm fighting because I want to make a living. It's a whole different look. Mm -hmm. You know, so for me, when I was fighting, whatever they would pay me was a bonus. The only time when I would really get hardball is when I think I'm worth more than that. Mm -hmm. This fight's more exciting than that. And I always looked at the fights as a job. So if you're going to, if I'm going to fight Mark Kerr, it's good. And if I'm gonna fight, say my, the guy fighting Pride Five, Nishida, Mark Kerr's job is gonna be a lot harder. Right. Nishida's job is not as hard. So I, I think you should get paid to what you're gonna the job you're gonna do. Mm -hmm. So you know, for me, if I'm gonna fight Mark Kerr, I need more money. If yeah. I'm gonna fight, it's gonna be Nishida. I don't need to train as hard. It's not gonna. I'm not. I don't need to. Um, the the fight's not gonna be as hard. I'm probably not gonna have as much injuries as I would if I fought Mark Kerr. So of course the fight pay couldn't go down. Yeah. So so it was like that for me. It was you know, who you, who who do you? So the negotiations pretty much started like, okay, I just finished fighting Pride Five. Okay, next fight Pride Seven. Mm -hmm. Take a break off Pride Six. Fight Pride Seven. Okay, who do you have me to fight? They give me the fight list of fighters. Usually they give me three fighters. So right. I choose out of the three. I take the one that I want to fight, that I think is going to be best, and I say okay. How much do you? I, this is what I want. What can you offer? Mm -hmm. And then from there, if they offer me fifty grand, I say no. That's not enough. I need hundred grand. You know, and yeah. then that's how it pretty much started. And, and and I always the strength of my negotiation was always that I always was willing to give up the fight. Right. So if they didn't meet my terms, you know, almost like almost like when you go shopping for something. Yeah. You always have to walk away once. You have yeah. To say, oh, you know what? 
okay, I don't want it, put it down and walk away. Even if you really want it and the price was good, if you want to bargain down, you got to see if they'll let you walk away. I mean, that was really evident in the negotiation emails because there's about like four or five with, um, what's the name? The uh, Yukino. Yukino saying, you know, Egan, you haven't come back to me. Egan, you haven't responded to my fax. Uh, Egan, you haven't responded to my email. So it's kind of like you're doing that walk away. Yeah, that was one of the games. Like, okay, you know what? Yeah. We don't need it. Then. We're no, done. Leave it. And we don't respond to them. And they're like, oh, then they, what happens is we see how much they need us. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like, it was like a game, man. It was like a total game. You know what's super different to, come, you know, now compared to back in the day is that a lot of the noise about, you know, fighters getting paid more is actually coming from the fans, people on Twitter, um, probably less than the actual fighters themselves, right? Like, I feel like the fans are almost more vocal than yeah, some of these guys yeah. because you know they don't want to fall out with Dana and, and that side of things it's strange that's true yeah it's I don't know it's a funny one because I always think like it comes down to the manager right it's you know you pay if you're a fighter you buy it you you pay for a manager the manager needs to be doing the best job right to get that, that salary from you you know if you've got a manager that's going out and saying you know what we're happy with this pay yeah but then on, on top of that too the manager can fuck it up and make sure you're going to lose a fight Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's like a real fine line of the management doing a good job and getting the money, and then a good job getting you to fight. You know. So it's like one or the other. Sometimes something you're gonna get good money, or you're gonna fuck up and blow the fight because you're gonna couldn't ask for too much. I see what you mean. So right. a good manager, not someone who gets the good money, is a good manager is the one who can actually play it right, right deal. where he yeah. can get as much as he can without losing the fight. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you you mentioned about you know. The people on Twitter are the ones that are actually making the most noise about it and everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I got really mixed feelings because a lot of the people are criticizing Dana White for, you know, have having this much money, having this much gate pay, this much pay-per-view, and he's only paying the fighters this much. And that, that comes to the question is where, okay, that should never be an issue, how much the promotion is making. What should be an issue is what is good fight pay for that fight yeah so if i'm fighting mark kerr and my job is to train to fight mark kerr and i'm going to have to fight someone like mark kerr and i'm taking the damages my fight pay is going to be according to the job i have to do regardless if i fight mark kerr in 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 say in shuto mm-hmm. where they're, they're not you know they're going to make only a little money mm-hmm. and i fight mark kerr in 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 pride where they're going to make more money just because pride makes, say, say a, a funny, uh, just a random amount, say ten million dollars on the event, that doesn't change my job. Mm-hmm. I have still have the same job. I still have the same opponent, and it would be nice to have a bonus, but I think my job is the same, no matter what ring it is, no matter what association it is. So, I, I don't like when people are comparing on how much money the U.S. is bringing in to what the pay is. Mm-hmm. I think that that's something that is, you know, hindsight's a, a blessing, yeah, to know the, how much he's getting, he's making. Yeah, that, I yeah. mean, that makes sense, right? Because it's it's almost like you're saying, you know, you're focusing on the fight itself, not what the promotion is making. And obviously, if it's a big fight, like Ensign versus Mark Kerr, then Ashuto is not going to be able to afford that fight because you yes. know how much that fight is. So, so it, it almost how the promotion is performing is is kind of irrelevant, right? Yeah. I think um, I I feel in yeah. my eyes yeah. my my day was like that yeah just trying to yeah I think um I think ultimately you know the sentiment from fans on Twitter wherever they are um 
is that they just want these fighters to have you know things like health insurance to have to be taken care of to um, have, make the best of the opportunities right and I think sometimes when they see the UFC making billions they think like oh we want our fighters to be taken care of so I think ultimately it's pretty cool that the fans are showing that sort of support I think there are ones which kind of maybe have approached it the wrong way where it's mm -hmm. kind of like and that's where you get this sort of like back and forth between two sides but there's definitely like merit between both sides right mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. <clears throat> and and you know I think a lot of it also is is um, why is it making this so much money today? It's not just from this one event. Say yeah. they have a big event next week. It's not from that one event this next week. It's from the history of the sport. Mm -hmm. It's from all the sacrifices and all the pain that created the sport. Yeah. And we know we all know that the Freddy brothers and Dana was behind on that. UFC was going bankrupt. Yeah. You yeah. know they're the brothers were from the station casino network they were losing money mm -hmm. because of that because of the ufc yeah you know dana had to beg the brothers to stick with it a little bit more yeah. so if so i always say you know dana's making a lot of money now but he needs to i mean he deserves it mm. it's because of dana the ufc is still here today mm -hmm. you know so for me sometimes i do think like oh dana's making that much money yeah maybe he should pay more but you know, maybe the bonuses should be a little higher, but then I always have in the back of my mind the appreciation I have for Dana, thinking that if it wasn't for Dana, MMA wouldn't be what it is today. Yeah, yeah, I I, I stand by that 100. percent Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's hard-headed, right? Like he's pushed things forward in a lot of different times when things when people were pushing back, but. Yeah, I mean, it's super topical, right? It's always one where I think people have really strong opinions on, so it's really cool to get your opinion on fighting. Yeah, you know, day. I'm friends with Dana too, so <laughs> yeah. that's another thing, you know. I mean, I, you know, I if I did have an issue, uh, well, the only issue I would have is, you know, I would say like, okay, Dana says he's going to do this, but he changes his mind. Hmm. So it's like, almost like, oh, if Dana says it's not set in law, he's going to, he could change his mind, like, girls will never be in the UFC mm -hmm. but on the other hand with that said I would say also that a good leader is someone that can learn and change yeah yeah so Definitely he said so. yeah no women in the UFC ever I mark my words yeah. on it but then when he sees Ronda come in mm -hmm. and how much Ronda brought to the sport and how much yeah. now the women are bringing to the sport mm -hmm. I mean do you say oh Dana you, you changed your mind you didn't keep your word or would you say Wow, props on you for changing your mind. Because look at what happened. Yeah. You know? So, you know, you, as much as you could grumble about the guy, you could also prop him. So, mm -hmm. you know, and I would say that your the way you're negotiating here with the Pride team, I don't think changes if it's Dana White. You know, that's that's what you. Yeah. If the, if, the, if the email said Dana White at the end of it, I it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. Yeah, right, it wouldn't so. matter. It would just it's it's it's, it's, I, it's how you valued the fight, right? You felt like. This is the effort I'm putting in. This is what I believe the figure should be. Yeah, and you know the politeness and the respect you give. You give respect where it is given. Yeah. Yeah, so if you re read their messages, yeah. there is some rude stuff that they say. There and is. some pretty yeah. low shit they say <laughs> to us too, so. It's highlighted within uh, red pen. Yeah, this is different. This is just <laughs> That's places. Not, yeah, sorry. The, the this niggas. is not the ones. This is just stuff that we want to change. Yeah, like, right. For example, this one on the line says... Um, uh, 40 days prior to we need 
to receive response in four seven two. I just I was kind of thought it was ridiculous. Yeah, but in some of the emails, there was definitely a lot of, you know, <laughs> I think it said uh, there was something about Mark Kerr, and then you scribbled on it. Ha! Mark Kerr lost the eagle. <laughs> yeah. Well, what we did was we did was we. Uh, I felt the the strength and the and the communication with them, wording and the way you say things would emphasize your feelings. And I felt the way Egan wrote it the first time was a little bit polite and yeah. it didn't express the dissatisfaction or the anger that I felt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I changed that. Yeah, so, you know, it's pretty much expressing your feelings. You know, it's hard when you do it in writing because they can't see your expression or hear your tone. Yeah. So it has to be, I, th I feel like it has to be really important that the words you choose and the way you present it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, an awesome conversation and it's really cool to see kind of the historic perspective hopefully all the people that watch this um appreciate that this is pretty confidential stuff right <laughs> that yeah. you're sharing so uh hopefully people appreciate that we you know you're willing to share that uh but if you do have any questions um around what Ensign thinks about fighter pay or maybe something from pride back in the day then by all means write in the comments uh, be sure and to yeah. make sure you like and subscribe and share yeah. and uh check the back content we have a lot of good content if you like this content there's a lot something like this so check it out yep thanks for watching if you guys have any more questions about pride leave it in the comments uh, hopefully i can answer them and thanks for watching